Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Elysium Project. I'm Hercules Invictus, and today we're on the path of public service. In our Age of Heroes segment, I'm greatly honored to be interviewing Chauncey I. Brown III, who is running for office in Patterson. Greetings and welcome, Chauncey. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much, Hercules. It's an honor and a blessing to be on your show this evening. Thank you. I feel the same way about you being here. Um, so tell us about your new campaign. Well, uh, my new campaign is I'm currently a, a candidate for the legislature in the city of Patterson as a third ward council person. Many people have called upon me and asked me to seek um, election uh, to help raise the level of consciousness of the people in the third ward in the city of Patterson and to lend my services and my expertise from the political realm and my public safety management skills to the city of Patterson again. I was honored to have the people of Patterson take out petitions in my name and submitted them on behalf of my candidacy. I am humbled and honored that the people of Patterson have faith in me, that they would like for me or consider me to serve on the legislative body in Patterson to bring some type of integrity in moral balance to the corrupt political dynamics that exist in Patterson today. Wow. And what is the situation in uh, Patterson? Uh, and how are your skills and your background essential uh, to remedy the many problems that uh, the ward is having? That is a great question. Uh, because of some of my past experiences, with my challenges with the disease of addiction, my past experiences of homelessness and incarceration. I want to be on the front line of mental health issues, substance abuse issues, veterans, homelessness crisis. We have people walking around in Patterson like zombies. These people are not being served. 
politicians drive by like they don't exist. And we have a cancer in Patterson. And just that in and of itself, with me living on the streets in Patterson, and me experiencing how the poor and unfortunate live, we don't have politicians that represent those individuals. And I consider myself a representative of the silent minority, of the silent majority. Now, as it relates to my management skills, uh, I served as a fire captain in the Patterson Fire Department, where I was in charge of the Emergency Management Services Division. I also served as Deputy Coordinator of the Office of Emergency Management, which many people will have heard of the Office of Emergency Management as of late because of the coronavirus. I yes. served in that capacity for three years. I've also served in the capacity as a policymaker for six years as the former school board member and past vice president and president and president of the board. So I understand the education dynamic. I also served 17 years as a commissioner on the board of recreation. So I understand the recreation dynamic. And because of my public safety background and my role as deputy coordinator of the Office of Emergency Management, I'm in a unique position, not only to handle emergencies, but I'm used to being in crisis mode, and I've been a very effective management leader as a result. Public safety is our key to protecting all the residents in the city of Patterson. And if we can't protect our residents first, how can we provide a quality of life for our residents, and then how can we legislate to bring about better changes for development of Patterson? So I believe I'm uniquely qualified with not only my challenges, but my experiences of being elected or in my appointed position to be able to serve immediately to address and tackle all the challenges that Patterson has currently. Like I said, homelessness, the opioid fentanyl crisis, you know, uh, mental health issues. We have ex-felons walking our streets with no hope. We need a transition. Also, I happen to be a conservative. We keep outspending more money than we are taking in. I do not believe in taxing people. I believe we need to cut taxes, and we need to provide more services and deliver more services to the people, serving the people of Patterson. Because if they were, Patterson would not look as decimated as it does. So when people want to run for office and they talk about what they're going to do, I always talk about what have you done to increase the quality of life for all in Patterson. It's non-existent. The politicians in Patterson come around every time on election time with a hamburger and a hot dog and a smile and please vote for me. And then once they get elected, they forget about the people for the next four years. That will not happen if I am elected to the council. It has never happened in any capacity that I've ever served in public life that I've always served the people's interest first over self-interest. Now, we're in the middle of a, a crisis with the coronavirus, and it doesn't seem to have an end in sight. This isn't a temporary a situation as we were initially uh, informed, uh, and it seems like it might last uh, a lot longer. 
than uh, we believe. Um, how would you use your skills and your experience uh, to help people during this uh, difficult time when uh, work is uh, closing down for very many people and there are even less opportunity th than normal? That's a great question. And the real answer is education. We just can't talk about the crisis. We have to educate people on the price, the, on the process of what does it mean to be in a state of emergency. I was on social media earlier this evening answering questions. People don't even know what the Office of Emergency Management is. People do not understand what the state of emergency is. This is where I can help educate and raise a level of consciousness to the residents in the city of Patterson on what we're supposed to do and not do when we have a crisis. People don't know. When there's a state of emergency, only first responders, nurses, and doctors are allowed to travel. Average citizens are not allowed to travel when there's a state of emergency. So we have to do a better job at educating the residents, not only that the crisis exists, but what do we do in the crisis? What is the plan? How do we implement the plan? How do we evaluate the plan? And how do we better serve the people? So I think that's critical, is education. Because a lot of people know, okay, it's the coronavirus. What does that mean? What do we do? So everybody is getting bombarded by the media of the coronavirus, wash your hands, this and that. And everything is playing a defensive mode. But I find it interesting that there hasn't been as much an educational piece of the underpinning of what is the Office of Emergency Management? What does the state of emergency mean? And those are the dynamics that I bring to the table to help the residents understand not only the situation that we're in, but how we can better protect ourselves and what should we be doing forward to not only protect ourselves, our neighbors, and our citizens. And you are in a unique uh, position because you've uh, you were part of the machine for very many years, so you understand uh, how it uh, works and where it doesn't work. Uh, and then also because of uh, uh, your path, uh, you have been um, in places that uh, normally you wouldn't be, and you got to experience uh, the conditions that are found there. And also spiritually, I know because we've had these conversations, uh, you're very open to various ways of looking at things and interpreting the world uh, and finding positive ways uh, to interpret it and also positive things to do to implement uh, uh, change. Um, how are the different uh, segments of society um, through which you have uh, walked responding to your candidacy? First of all, I, I want to say that I'm humbled and extremely blessed by God, my, 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 my most high, my maker, the creator, for keeping his hands on me. But I thank him for the experiences that I went through to help other people. My challenges, as you said and stated, helps me to understand and have an outlook that normal politicians have never seen or don't have only driving in their car. I have received positive responses from people, not only about my candidacy, but the things that I stand for because I speak truth to power. I'm a real individual. I speak the truth. 
I fear no man. I believe in the Most High. My experiences of the past is a testimony to give hope to those who have experienced or experienced the challenges that I've experienced. That's why it's important for me to always talk about being blessed that I was incarcerated, that I've been homeless, that I've been in and out of rehab, because I can personally identify with people with those challenges like no one else can. Right. The Most High, the Most High put His hands on me to walk through that den of the devil, so I can be a witness, a spiritual witness, for those who want to help to change their lives. That there is hope if you believe. In the universe, if you believe in something higher than yourself, my shortcomings of my past have increased my spirituality, have increased my belief in faith, that there is something greater than me that I serve. And when we serve the universe, as I know you serve the universe, most people are extremely, most people are extremely selfish because of lack of knowledge. And I would hate for anyone to experience what I went through to get to where I've come. That's why I call myself a witness of testimony for those who have challenges of myself to give them hope. The universe, we are lacking moral integrity and spiritual balance in our political system today. That is a whole other dynamic that I bring to the table. I'm not a politician. I am a servant of the Most High, and I am a servant of humanity. I despise politicians. I used to be one. I used to be a part of the machine, as you currently stated. I saw the political corruption. Now I want to fight against the corruption. I want to serve the people's will and not my self-interest. That, we that have to turn the page. Noble. Thank you. We have to turn the page, Hercules. We have to look at our founding fathers were statesmen. They served man. They were extremely spiritual and religious. Politics today in this environment has lost its spirituality, its moral compass. And that's a dynamic that I think is more important to have a conversation about and talk about while I run for office. Me running for office is only temporary. It's only 59 days away for the election. Wow. This is a movement. This is a spiritual movement for me. My candidacy after the election, win, win, lose, or draw, I will still continue to serve humanity and continue to raise their level of consciousness of truth and justice and to point out where the devil stands, call the devil out and put him in his place and terminate him if possible. The only way we're going to save our country is if we go back to the basics of our Judeo-Christian values of what the founding fathers founded this country on. We lost our moral compass. When we have children today learning about transsexuals and different sexual acts, this is the devil trying to 
infiltrate our society, which we see it's a cancer all across the country. As you know, the universe, you are above all things on this earth, Hercules, as am I. We have a responsibility to save the universe. And this is just one quest for me to have a platform to have this conversation. We know that this is bigger than you and I, and that's how we've connected spiritually. This show is not about us. This show is about those who are listening and helping those with challenges that we are speaking about this evening. And I'm so honored and blessed to have this platform to be with you and to share not only my experiences, but my hopes and dreams for our universe and for humanity today. And I'm greatly honored, and uh, um, th- there's so much to touch upon here that uh, our time today is not, is not going to be enough. But anyway, the conversation between us continues, and it will uh, uh, continue. Now, you had said about uh, that you're conservative, and you don't believe in spending uh, money unnecessarily, and that the, um, the most important thing is to educate people. There's a lot of misinformation uh, floating around out there um, about the coronavirus, uh, especially. And uh, the more you uh, research, uh, your picture is going to change several times until you start to see uh, patterns and get a better understanding. How can we, using the um, things that we have at our disposal today, going to educate people and show them the truth of what's going on with the coronavirus so that they can... uh, um, you know, react appropriately. I'll give you one example. Uh, we're being told not to hoard by official channels, uh, and then by official channels, we're being told that this might last for many months. So, uh, if a person can hoard, they will. That's human nature uh, to be able to uh, have enough for themselves and their family. Um, so, how can we? make sure that people are getting good information and therefore they can make wise decisions and take appropriate actions? That is a great question. And the news media is no friend of the American people, which becomes challenging. This is a twofold question. Okay. It's a spiritual answer and it's a political answer. When I talk spiritually, uh, The world in and of itself, where the devil rules today, we have these things going on. It talks about it in the book of Revelations. But on the political front, are we moving towards a totalitarian, militarized, socialized, or communist state? We have more people dying from the flu every year than we have from the coronavirus. Yet, why are we in panic mode over the coronavirus? And we're not in panic mode over 30 or 40,000 people dying from the flu every year. That is a question I have. I have no answer. I am watching and observing like anyone else. The only advice I can give is to be careful and to try to do as much research as you can. I wouldn't panic. We have stores closing and all of this stuff. I mean, we've had the Ebola virus and other viruses that were worse. So 
I'm not sure if I'm answering your question. I the best way I can answer it is just people try to use their own intuition and judgment upon living their life. But I think shutting everything down, I, I, you know, I, I would caution that maybe temporarily until we understand exactly what's going on is a good idea. But I don't think that uh, this crisis should be a long-term uh, crisis, but I think it is something that should be dealt with seriously. And I also think that it's, it's exposed some of the underpinning of the challenges that we have. We don't have enough hospital beds, enough ventilators. So on the flip side, uh, whether we hope that this does not become uh, something that is catastrophic, Right now, I think the numbers are only less than 10,000 across the whole world, I think, that have died from the coronavirus. Um, we just have to be mindful. You know, I'm still hesitant about the political dynamics of the coronavirus. I'm concerned about the health aspects. But, Understood. I'm, yes, I'm also concerned about the fact that uh, uh, certain uh, people are being uh, targeted uh, because they fall into yes. certain uh, categories, and uh, um, the very fact that uh, they're being uh, um, singled out and targeted is is a dangerous precedent uh, to uh, set. Because where does that end? Uh, <laughs> who you target and I, how you target them? I, I agree. I mean, right now it, it, they said that you know uh, the coronavirus started in China. Now we know that China is the most overpopulated nation or country in the world, they have more people over 60 years old than anywhere else on the planet. Uh, sometimes I wonder if it was created to control uh, the population. You know, uh, you are a universal individual. Uh, we know that there are spirits of darkness that lurk. Uh, so, uh, like I said, I'm cautious, um, but we just have to be mindful and vigilant to try to keep our safe ourselves clean and safe. Personally, I don't recommend wearing masks because if you wear a mask, you're going to collect the virus that you're trying to basically say that you're fighting against. So, uh, you know, it's a very interesting time. Uh, yes, I, I never it's thought very it's interesting a time like to see. Yes, um, but they did talk about it in the book of Revelations, not trying to become religious only as a point of conversation. Uh, and Revelation talks about before the end times that there will be a plague or a virus that will plague the world. Um, you know, these things have been written thousands of years ago in books that I know that you've read, that I've read. Uh, that most people do not read. Um, you know, the time is at hand. Either we're going to come together as humanity and within the universe to save ourselves or we're going to destroy ourselves. And right now, unfortunately, it looks like we're on the path of humans to destroy ourselves. And it's sad. It really is sad. We are in at a crossroads in the world today that we all need to hopefully be awakened 
and uh, maybe this I, I, might be. Yes, sir. I agree that this is definitely a, a wake-up uh, call. Uh, and again, I'm not a scientist, so I really don't know the truth of uh, uh, much of what yes. I hear. Uh, but uh, supposedly with the melting of the ice, a lot of uh, viruses and bacteria uh, that were frozen from uh, prehistory um, are going to be let loose on the world. So I don't know whether that's true or not. Again, I don't have the background to really make a determination or to understand how uh, others have reached the determination. But uh, this could be a wake-up call that we need to work together to figure out a way to solve this uh, so that if greater challenges come, we're prepared uh, to meet them. Uh, or we can continue in our ways of squabbling uh, and uh, allow ourselves to uh, be overcome by these uh, uh, these tests, these challenges that are coming our way. I could not agree with you more, Hercules, uh, that the time is at hand. And you're right, this is a wake-up call. And hopefully we, the people, will heed the advice. Um, this is a lesson, and we hope it turns into a blessing. Um but we just have to be mindful and it's going to be very interesting uh, to see how everything unfolds. Uh, but right now I'm concerned about the military state that's in place, shutting down everything. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure. That, well. uh, you, you know what I mean? Like I said, we're, we're entering into a military state. So, you know, the origins of viruses, which is a very, very interesting. I know I only have a few more minutes. Uh, the origins of viruses are very interesting. Uh, as And I'm going to always point to as a man of the universe. Viruses uh-huh. are either man, viruses are either man-made or they come from outside of the universe into our planet. Right. That's the, either they're man-made or they come from outside of the universe and enter into Earth's atmosphere, and then it, co- it comes in contact with a plant, an animal, etc. Those are the only two ways that a virus can be born. Um, and I hope, either way, whether it was man-made or it was not, we have to look at this, like you said, very, very carefully, try to get as much education as we can possible. Uh, but even listening to the professionals, um, they're not sure of the development of an antivirus. The or you know they're they're still mulling over where we're at now. The other interesting part is that China, where it started, held back for I think a month or so before they even announced to the world that it was a crisis, and that's how with the people traveling and so forth and so on, it was able to travel so quickly. Um, another interesting thing is, is as a result of the coronavirus, is that China, we get most of all of our medications from China. So, and a blessing in disguise, bring all the pharmaceutical companies back to the United States. The United States has to become independent, NAFTA, the national uh, agreement of free trade that allowed companies to leave America and go abroad has hurt the infrastructure of America. 
Donald Trump identified it. He's trying to bring these companies back. Uh, we are the leading export of oil right now. We need to be the leading exporting of everything. We have to become self-sufficient and less dependent on other nations. And now with this crisis going on, as we see, you know, we have a shortage in certain stuff, ventilators in hospitals or whatever, medications. We don't even know what to use, and we get all the medications out of China. Um, this is a wake-up call that we need to do things differently uh, in this country, and we really need to stop playing politics with people, and we really need to start serving the public good and the public will so we can protect our cities, our state, and our nation. We have to have politicians stop operating in crisis management mode. We need to get ahead of the curve in this country and in the state of New Jersey. We need to lead from ahead and not from behind. So, I, I agree. You know, and uh, um, I wonder a lot of times, like you pointed out, that uh, some politicians don't really involve with themselves uh, with their communities except when it's election time. Uh, and then they come with a smile and a small gift and uh, and ask to be uh, elected. Um, why don't we, as individuals, hold our leaders more accountable? And why do we keep electing leaders that that don't address the needs of uh, the people? That is a great question. One thing is, I think, is apathy. The other thing is, is I think that lack of education. Lack of education in the public educational system of educating people on civic responsibilities, government, and things of that nature. So now you have people brainwashed, line A. There is no politician that is educating, well, I shouldn't say no. Most politicians tell people what they want to hear versus what they need to hear. And they don't raise their level of consciousness. They spin and they don't tell the truth. So uh, it's a tricky situation. You know, they vote for the same people because of friends, family, favors. But that undermines the purpose of government. That undermines the will of the people. Politics will not save a city or a country. Serving the people's will, and the founding fathers talked about that. It's we the people. And politicians today think that they're kings or queens or nobility. And it's sad that the people end up bearing the brunt. Now, most of the people that bear the brunt of this are, look at all the major cities throughout the country that are controlled by politicians or the same political party for over half a century, promising change where things don't change. But you're talking about people in cities of a, of a lower social, economic, and educational level that the politicians are able to take advantage of. And that's, I believe, what happens. That's why education raising the level of consciousness of the electric is extremely important. And politicians don't do that because then you uncover their faults. If you educate the public, then you have a way to assess and judge their progress. If you keep telling them what they want to hear and have the talking points and talk about the issues and fail to talk about solutions, 
That's why we have the problems that we have. They keep the problems in place so they can keep talking about them and get reelected, and I'm running to stop that cycle. And it is awesome uh, that uh, you're taking everything you've ever experienced, everything you've learned, and you're applying it uh, to this uh, uh, new challenge uh, that we're all facing. I always learn from uh, speaking with you, and uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Uh, I know we will uh, talk again uh, soon, but I wish you greatest success in the challenges that uh, lie ahead and in your campaign. How can people learn more about you and uh, your history and your dreams for the future? How can they get involved uh, with your campaign? Thank you very much. Uh, You can go to Elect Brown 2020 on Facebook or Elect Brown 2020 on Twitter to follow me for my campaign. Also, my full name is Chauncey I. Brown III. You can follow me on Facebook. I'm also a national blog talk radio host. You can also yes. follow me at Right Talk Radio. Uh, also on LinkedIn at Chauncey I. Brown III. Uh, my biography is in place. Uh, I only have a limited amount of space, so I put as much out there as I can about my whole life history. Uh, they can look at that, check it out. Um, if I'm easy to contact, if people have any questions, if they'd like to donate or anything, um, just inbox me on, on Facebook. And Hercules, I, I want to say that I'm extremely humbled and thankful and blessed to be on your show today and be a well, part of the you. conversation and be a part of the conversation to help raise the level of consciousness, not only in New Jersey, but the American people. It is an honor to be on your show and I would be honored anytime to be on your show and to be a guest here. Thank you so much. God that. bless and you, and God, God bless, bless all your you listeners. Too. Yes. And uh, thank you for being our first uh, follower on our new uh, station and our new show. I greatly appreciate that. <laughs> and uh, I, I am grateful that you're on as a guest because, uh, again, we don't see eye to eye about uh, certain things, but we're both willing to talk and to understand uh, perspectives other than the ones we currently hold and that is becoming rarer and rarer in this uh, polarized environment so uh, I applaud your bravery uh, in not only speaking honestly uh, but in you know basically sharing where you're coming from you're not playing a role you're who you are and you're trying to make a difference and that is very noble I thank the most high for keeping his hands on me and the blessings that he's bestowed upon me by the experience that I've had, and I must pay them forward to all those within this universe. Thank you so much again. Amen to that, and thank you. Uh, We're going to listen to a brief song called uh, Evolve by Bumpo's Orchestra, and then we'll be back for the Sussex Report with Astrid.
Project. Today we are walking the path of public service, uh, and I'm greatly honored that we've reached the portion of the program where we will be speaking with Astrid, and we'll be starting off with the Sussex Group. Greetings and welcome, Astrid. How are you? Greetings, Hercules. Well, I'm taking my supplements. I am well, using my deep soap like a wild woman, washing constantly. And, uh, you know, avoiding crowds. I'm home. I'm doing this and that, doing what we need to do to keep safe. Yes. Uh, same here, picking my supplements, so making sure my hands are well washed, uh, limiting <laughs> my uh, exposure to the, the outside the door, and uh, uh, just basically moving on. This is amazing. I never thought we'd experience something like this uh, during my lifetime, and here we are. 
Well, it has happened other times and with other kind of diseases, one being the most horrific, right. Black Plague. And, and basically what happens is um, contact, not jumping on things soon enough, poor sanitation, you know, and, and it just moves along, spreads whether it be swine flu, you know, SARS. Matter of fact, uh, Ebola and SARS were at the forefront of, like, some major um, epidemics, but globally it's amazing what was done to control the situation. And and we'll go into that a little further as we go along in this program. But um, I do have to say on a positive note, there are people pulling together, and I'm glad to see there are stores that are opening early for people that are compromised, particularly the you know sixty and over are the crowd that will be will most likely see fatalities. So uh, in order to make things safer for them, you have some stores that are willing to open earlier for them. A Whole Foods market one hour earlier than the public's hours. Target is going to have a weekly hour just for seniors that you have to go onto their site awesome. to find more out about that because this is all kind of unfolding quickly. Dollar General will have the first hour open for seniors only. A stop and Shop starting tomorrow, 90 minutes, 6 to 7.30 for seniors, 60 and over, with a uh, private entrance, you know, their own little entrance there. I'm also seeing that stores are starting to put limits on what people can buy, and that varies from store to store, so you'd have to check that out. Because the one thing that was sad and sorry was a situation where people going in and grabbing, you know, all the toilet paper, tons of toilet paper, tons of paper towels, all the sanitizers. And, yes, you want to be prepared. You don't know how long it's going to go, but you have to think of others. It's right. when you totally <laughs> wipe the shelves out, there is no way that anyone else can have anything. And, you know, maybe that's fine for you and your family, but um, this is something that I really feel we have to get past in the U.S. of A. That attitude of um, me first, that I'm not saying it's prevalent, but there is enough of it that we're not used to inconvenience. We're used to things going our way. And it's very hard being told that, well, no, you have to limit this. You have to curtail that. As we're seeing with all the partying down in Florida, you know, bars that were loaded and people partying, not understanding the risk. Well, maybe you're not at risk, but you will bring it home to others. Uh, So uh, I'm hoping that people start to see the severity of this and start to think more of, um, of the whole community rather just themselves. Being home from work does not mean, you know, a time to just go out and party. It means that you have to prepare with and look for, for other people that you can help, too. Are there older people in the community? What about checking on your families? Um, there are so many things you can do for other people that have no resources. Uh, I've got quite a few emails coming in, you know, with these Meals on Wheels and special uh, Take Them a Meal programs saying that uh, they're working out different ways to do things. Uh, right. A lot of the, a lot of the um, shelters are changing the way they do things. Food banks, they're they're setting up so that people can come by and just pick up items that are already packaged. So there are groups that are doing things for the betterment of those that don't have accessibility of things, don't have the money to get it, or even the means to get it. Right. 
it, it, uh, that's a question that's been, uh, uh, you know, popping up in my mind, you know, because uh, uh, most of the country, uh, from what I understand, are going through very difficult times right now. So sure, until sure. mechanisms are in place, uh, um, you know, these measures that we're taking are really going to impact their ability to uh, uh, pay their bills, to feed themselves, feed their families, and, and so forth. Um, and uh, right now also we're confronted with the fact that our, our medical care system is uh, not uh, mm, And We'll go into that a little later, too. I do want to say there are very many Sussex County restaurants that are stepping up and, and definitely going to be doing delivery or pickup. Some of them in the area are the A&G pizzas. Uh, there are three of them. So basically the Newton one is from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m., the um, the A and G Pizza in Branchville is from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. They have delivery and pickup. Lafayette, that's uh, I think um, that's 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. as well. Uh, Applebee's in Newton, noon to 10, and it's you drive up and you pick it up. Andover Diner, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Call them up, work that out, pick up. Cafe Perot is pickup only. That's in Sparta. Changbao and Newton, pickup only. Uh, the Firehouse Bagels, there's Bagels 1 and Bagels 2 in different parts of uh, Sussex County, which has not just bagels, I mean, outrageous bagels, but great meals. Matter of fact, we picked up corned beef there sliced at a time before the, um, before, before the, the, uh, the closures. So the day before, we just picked it up so we could have our St. Patty's Day meal yesterday. I, again, very obliging. They bake a lot of their own baked goods. I'm not even going to tell you how good they are because I don't do cookies and baked items, but the, their main mama there makes the best cookies that uh-huh. are not super sweet. So, I mean, if you need a treat, just go up and say you need some of their cookies. And they have um, really great wraps. So uh, you can actually get onto several sites and see what stores are open, a whole list. I sent you a link. I've been sending a lot of links, I know. But I just sent one within the last half hour that it's with the radio station that has the list of restaurants that are open, their hours, their times. And then, of course, you can always go online and find out, you know, what their plans are. I know Mohawk House, I got a, uh, in Sparta, very uh, high-end restaurant, great, you know, brewery there in terms of, of, of different kind of, um, of beers from all over the world. But they are willing to do uh, pickup service, too. And uh, Lafayette House, quite a few. And if you are regular and you are in tune and are a member, you know, sort of signed up with them, uh, and get emails from them, they will gladly send you emails tell, giving you all the details, you know, day by day. So um, that's an option, too. I really can't give any lists of activities because, as you know, we are in yeah. shutdown mode in New Jersey. And I have to say, uh, our Trite State area jumped on it. Governor Murphy was working with um, Cuomo from New York and Wolf from PA were very aggressive. They shut the schools down, the gyms, the casinos, the restaurants, the bars, limiting social interaction, talking about six-foot distance. They were at the forefront realizing that we are densely populated and that we're the ones that have to densely populated areas really 
have to step it up to make sure that uh, we, we, we don't build up to that curve because the worst is, not, is yet to come. With all the people yeah. that are going around, not being tested, like you said, hospitals and the equipment. But I think we have to take a little note in a page from, let's see if I can find it now, from Singapore. Singapore has okay. been heralded as the area that dealt with it the best, and it had to do with being prepared. And it said, we want to stay one or two steps ahead of the virus. The director of communicable diseases division at the Ministry of Health. If you chase it, you're always going to be behind, be behind the curve. They, right. along with Taiwan and, and Hong Kong, had different approaches in battling the epidemic. And they were hit with it months ago. These three societies have accorded only a handful in certain areas, but Singapore, right away, they did heavy duty tracking, enforced quarantines, and meticulous social distancing early. Um, the details of where they live, work, and play were released quickly online, allowing others to protect themselves so they were aware of the area. They were able to limit the spread. They further mm-hmm. strengthened its borders to protect against a new wave of imported infections. These are things you do. Vigilant monitoring, because they had problems way back when, 17 years ago, with SARS. And with SARS, you know, it just flew around like like crazy. Um, But what they did is they made sure they had a problem because of the large population of mainland Chinese people arriving during the Lunar New Year holiday. So as soon as they started having confirmed cases, they made sure that testing was available for everyone. It would have gone undiagnosed. So they were sprinting right. to stem the possibility of runaway transmission. Uh, not the case where Italy, Korea, Iran, you know, horrible situations because they didn't jump on it. But people in Singapore do not wear masks because they told them it wasn't needed. The schools are still right. running. They have staggered lunch times to avoid big crowds. And guess what? They have plenty of toilet paper. <laughs> they have Toilet paper. <laughs> well, I guess you know they, they're a lot more um, group oriented and respect for uh-huh. others. But they said that uh, only a fraction were mysteries. They had 266 confirmed cases as of Tuesday. Uh, 115 patients were discharged. They have no recorded deaths from the coronavirus. That's amazing. Wow. As soon as they heard about a mysterious virus in China, they moved quickly. It was the first country to ban all travelers from China, starting in January. They had thermal scanners to measure the temperatures of all who came into the country. They have 5.7 million residents. They developed the capacity to test more than 2,000 people a day. That is amazing. Uh, It's free, which is another thing. So is medical treatment for all the local people. They have 140 contact tracers outlining each patient's case history. So I think that's amazing. They've worked together. The communication is unbelievable. They had weeks of investigation, a new use of an antibody test that can detect people who have recovered. Um, They're they have people that are put into mandatory quarantine to stop further contagion. Uh, 
They had 5,000 people isolated. And if they try to dodge the quarantine orders, they face criminal charges. Wow. Yeah. Pneumonia patients were given the test just in case. I thought that was amazing. But again, they had such situations, such a horrible situation with SARS, that they didn't let it happen anymore. You know, they, they made sure they, they um, stood up to all this and, and put preparation in place. You know, they had people ordered to work from home in the beginning. Um, it's amazing what they did. Taiwan as well. They, they jumped on it. But no one like, like Singapore. It's, it's amazing. really is. And you say, wow. well, you know, why doesn't, why doesn't that happen here? You have to have a great command center, and there has to be, what's our favorite word, communication, that goes from the federal to the region regional to local. That's how it has to be. It has to definitely be, there has to be somebody in charge up on the top. And you're seeing now that there's, they're they're really worried. You know, people in the medical field are worried because they said there's going to be a lack of hospital beds, a lack of sufficient testing, uh, a lack of health aids because they have to be quarantined. And it's not just treating people for, um, the coronavirus, if somebody is exposed, then they cannot work at all. So that means that ER, so many ERs are being exposed. I mean, you have the one case in um, the Newark Hospital where the lady ran in and, and was tested and then told she had to be quarantined and ran away. So the wow. whole ER had to be quarantined. And who knows what happened wow. until they, they found that lady, were able to locate her. I don't know. So what works? Rapid testing? Detective work to find early intervention. Constant hand washing, we hear it over and over again. Sanitizing objects, we talked about this last week about some of these phony phony baloney methods. Uh, Sterilizing and sanitizing objects because the lifespan of this virus is amazing on objects. And there's talking about if you're sneezing into the ear, how far it can go, but it also goes down on the ground. And my uh, dear friend, who's Taiwanese, was talking to her brothers in Hong Kong, and he said that they did constant quarantine, testing, washing the hands. They wore the masks, but they washed and sterilized, you know, using alcohol or whatever, um, doorknobs, handles within the house, your car handle, um, the bottom of shoes, and we never think about that. No, no, no. That, no, because, you know, we come in in the house with our shoes, and we walk around. Who knows what we pick up outside, uh, even going beyond the coronavirus. Um, and then you're walking around your house, and the bottom of, the, of your shoes carry all kinds of things, whether it's being in the woods or walking somewhere. I mean, there are animals out there, and we won't talk about what they do out on the streets. Um no. Let's not go there. And, you know, then you're walking on your rugs, your floors. Um, Sometimes you're picking things up from the floor. Your animals are walking on the floors and outside. So it is interesting. We never think about all the ways of transmission. Right. No, you don't. No. So unbelievable. So how does it get like this here in this country? How does it get to the point where 
we're not prepared because we're hearing a whole lot of rhetoric, aren't we? Yes, we are. What we're going to do and how we're going to approach this. And, well, here comes the problem. We had a great tax reform for some, particularly the uber wealthy. In order to pay for this tax reform, they have to find the money somewhere. And what this president has done is dismantled so many programs. We know the EPA and even more cuts to the EPA in this new budget. There was a dismantling of programs that are responsible for combating global health crisis. We've heard of the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Well, in 2018, they were cut. They they had to cut 80% of their efforts to prevent global disease outbreaks due to funds. The department went from working in 49 countries to just 10. Wow. And as much as you want to say, you know, America first, this and that, um, we have the means and the money and. When you take care of others, you are, in effect, taking care of yourself. The Ebola virus, you know, all these AIDS, all these different viruses, you can think, you know, all these different federal programs that were set in place and went to these countries to work to control it so it would not get to the point of where the coronavirus is now. Uh, Other foreign policy changes noted where they're shutting down entire Health Security Unit of the National Security Council, reducing national health spending by $15 billion. Wow. Only only three out of 100 CDC. Now, we're talking this federal um, organization that's supposed to control disease and prevent it. Three out of 100 labs are equipped of theirs to screen for the virus. Unbelievable. Last year, a federal program called PREDICT was shut down. It was established 10 years ago as a response to the H5N1, which was a bird flu outbreak. They would investigate and provide surveillance of infectious diseases, follow them, follow the trends, follow trends that, that showed movement from animals to humans. Research is important and compiling information. And they also worked on testing for detection and trained medical detectives to compile the information and to study how things were moving along, you know, the different trends in different countries. So that's how Ebola, swine flu, all these different horrific things were were uh, controlled with all these different studies. The Health Resources and Services Administration, HRSA, announced it needs more than $105 million allocated to support the public health efforts beyond travel bans and quarantine rules. There needs to be more set up. Uh, 40% of uniformed federal police health professionals who are deployed to uh, disease outbreaks and, you know, during national disasters, they were cut by 40%. That's unbelievable. Wow. Other proposed cuts now are more cuts for the Center for Disease Control. The NIH, the National Institute of Health, which is so important, 
383 million for the National Institute of Allergies and Infections, 2.6 billion for the EPA, which we know has had a major effect as well with the climate change. And we're talking, we're looking at key federal health agencies who have been drastically cut or worse, totally eliminated. Totally eliminated. What would it take to put those back in place uh, other than a change? Maybe, you know, this is sad because something doesn't happen for a couple of years where people may you know, figure, well, we need this tax reform. We need to get our businesses stimulated. Let's do that. And um, there's a domino effect there. So, therefore, all these different programs that they felt that, well, let's just get rid of them. If we need it, we'll put it in place. Well, you can't just put something like that in place, as we've just seen now, with how fast this spreads. And if you don't have something set in place, it isn't an easy task to set forth all of these institutions that function alone and together. They're all integrated. Uh, One does this, one does that, and then they communicate with one another. Um, That's the whole purpose of it. So... I would think that maybe now, you know, I think you have to contact um, your your representatives, your senators, and say, why did this happen? How was it allowed to happen? We want it reinstituted. You know, right. We as consumers and as the public have the numbers. It is up to us to put it out there and to say, you know, that, that these things matter. We matter. Um, we see now that now these bills are coming forth. The House had something done last week, but of course, you know, Mitch McConnell said, no, let's go home. And they got back That's together, and now, excuse me? That is a weekend. that they went home. That, that, that was amazing. Yes, and um, so they're going to have a 30-minute uh, roll call vote for all these different things now they're going to discuss. I guess now it's important. Before it didn't matter because it didn't hit home. Now it's starting to hit mayors, um, the senators. You know, I mean, the people in Florida are dropping like flies with this. And you could say it's because it's age-related, but also because, you know, some of the government officials have gotten together and they're spreading it too. So, um there have been situations, I know McConnell and the other uh, Senate Republicans were critical of the House passed legislation. And as soon as they start hearing about pay sick leave, they get worried. Um, what are people supposed to do? And I, and, and I have to read right. this in, in depth because I'm not too sure how this is going to work. I don't think any of us know exactly. You're just hearing. Oh. You know, um, it's a revised bill. Now it says here the payments would be capped at $511 a day, um, roughly what someone making $133,000. It's capped at. It doesn't mean you're going to be getting that. Uh, $133,000 earns annually. The original measure called for workers that came from the House to receive their full pay but limited federal reimbursement to employers. But uh, I think they're looking only right now, don't quote me, with family members affected by the coronavirus or those that can't be there, uh, like the children's schools have been closed. Um, yeah, I can understand that, but what about all these businesses that yes. are going to be laying people off now and there are no jobs? And uh, what are you going to do for them? Major corporations don't need any more breaks. I'm sorry. They have gotten, 
huge amounts of money and bailouts galore. Um, GM Motors got a big giant bailout for their own, you know, ineptitude way back when. The banks were had giant bailouts. How about starting to look at regular people and small businesses, people who have, you know, strived to set their businesses up because if small businesses fall, what happens is these huge corporations like Amazon um, will get larger. They will have more business. And people that work for Amazon are not happy campers because they are not treated right. well. They're not unionized. Um, the, the limits on them in terms of, like, bathroom and, and um, sick days, it's horrible. And I know I, I think I mentioned it last week, but Jeff Bezos also owns Whole Foods. And they were unwilling to pay any money to their poor employees and uh, said that basically workers should volunteer their, their sick days up to the other ones. If I've anyone could afford to give breaks, it's Bezos. So, and we need to look for petitions. They're out there. You know, like Daily Cost, there's a whole bunch, a whole bunch of petitions, change.org, to say that these, you know, that they should be taking care, government should be taking care of people that are just thrown off unemployment, thrown off their jobs, have to go apply for employment. Unemployment only goes up to 26 weeks now. So when they show unemployment figures, you have to wonder what their figures are because it's not showing people that never can get a job out of school, those that have been kicked off unemployment, and, you know, those that are actively searching that can't get a job. Right. And I, I think I in the gig economy where um, a lot of people, like even myself, where I, I accept different teaching gigs uh, for mm-hmm. uh, kids, for seniors, for adults, and all of a sudden <laughs> all of them closed down. So the, there was not an right. opportunity. Uh, I'm not really an employee per se, uh, but, you know, I do find uh, work and I work. So all of a sudden this effectively cut off uh, all uh, revenue coming in. And a lot of people are sure. part of the economy. They're Uber right, drivers, right. they're uh, um, what do you call substitute teachers. You know, they, they do what they can um, with uh, what we have and uh, right. uh, they're affected. And I don't even know if they'd be eligible for unemployment insurance. Well, that's the other thing because um, there was a great figure that only 20% of the unemployed are collecting unemployment. Right. 27%. Wow. You know, that's, that's frightening. And then you, and 30 million in the U.S. do not have health insurance. <laughs> right. And again, this so is there has to be, they, they, they have to jump on free testing. That's the first thing. Get this testing right. going. No, very, very so we shall true. see what happens here. I, I think they're doing it in three separate bills. That's the other thing. Um, uh, there have been questions, people of saying, why aren't the, uh, like the National Guard, it took them so long to say they're going to do that. Um, governors, and, and you should do this on your own. Excuse me? It was supposed too. to be a command center. That's why we have a federal government to take care of it and to manage the control and command center and go down to the, the chain of command. 
Um, I know that in New York and New Jersey, the governors are working on actually setting up triage centers, and they're looking right. at all different places. So that's good. But they're all saying they're concerned about two major things. One, the lack of sufficient testing and equipment to do it. And the other thing is the lack of sufficient health aides, you know, nurses, doctors, um, you know, um, all these people in, in, in the health industry due to the, self, the risks of being exposed to people. And then you have to be self-quarantined. And so there aren't enough people, and that's why they're limiting so many. They're saying don't go to hospitals because you're only going to infect everybody there and including the, um, the staff. And then what do you do if you don't have a staff? Uh, yes, another challenge. <laughs> <laughs> another challenge. Uh, on the good side of things, we do have Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the most important public figure in Washington amongst this, amongst this pandemic. And I'm happy to see that Trump is listening to him. You know, kudos right. to him for that. Because he's been at the helm of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for four decades. Right. Uh, but, you know, and he's amazing because each briefing – uh, I would want our listeners to pay close attention to him because he takes a factual, no-nonsense approach without being obnoxious. You know, he doesn't try to upstage the president who has clashed with officials. You know, he basically just gives the facts. He's avoided criticism of them, which, believe me, would be easy to do with the way things have been handled. But he's 79 years old. He is amazing because... He gives specific data and efforts how to flatten the curve. And um, he is a brilliant man who has served many presidents as a director of this institute. And he is a dedicated public servant. He does it because he cares. You know, he is amazing. He really is. You know, he well, he is has eclipsed the vice president as a public public face of the response effort, and rightly so. There should be someone who knows what they're talking about. And right. many senators earlier in the month encouraged Trump to make him the face of the government's response efforts. Well, praise the gods and goddesses. That's all I gotta say, because he is a researcher. He is a recipient of many honors for his work in the fields of science and medicine. Bush gave him the Presidential Medal of Freedom for all his work with HIV and AIDS. He has turned down the role of the National Institute of Health Director because it's a political appointment, and he doesn't want to be in it for only so many years. He wants to serve the agency long Term. And this is what you need, someone who is bipartisan, someone who has the experience, an unbelievable wealth of knowledge, and the ability to see now and the big picture. So that's wonderful. Yes, it, it definitely is uh, wonderful. Um, and uh, I'm hearing like uh, many different accounts of what's going on. Um, information right. now is not very uh, consistent, uh, and it's not always clear uh, what exactly is uh, um, good information as opposed to, to bad information. 
Um, so you I'm have to watch because when you watch, you listen to the to the press reports. Unfortunately, with the president, there isn't there's conflicting things there. You know, I try to go to as many. Uh, in many reliable sources, uh, right. www.propublica.org, uh, www.consumerreports.org, that talks about household products that work. Uh, Senator Menendez has a 24-hour hotline. Newsweek has something on the WHO pandemic. There are very many ways you can get the information. Atlantic Health organization systems you can go to things i know i've sent you quite a few things uh i'm sorry hercules you're gonna have to read through them all no but, no um, thank you you know there are some that are extremely reliable and that's what you want and and for people that are you know 55 and over if you don't belong to the w that the double a r p organization you really should because they have an unbelievable wealth of information talking about watch out for fraud and scams now. They have yeah. different things you can go on to in terms of hotlines. They have webinars. Quite a few really great organizations are doing that. And that's what you want to find. You know, you want to find the meat, not the fancy thrills. You want to find out the truth. You know, you want to hear exactly what is going to be um, laid out in terms of, um, like I said, with these bills that are being approved, it, it changes things a little bit. It does say here, you know, the Hill had, gets the facts, and it says here there are GOP task forces for drafting another bill. Uh, Close uh-huh. door lunch. Don't you like that? I love that. Not bipartisan. And they were getting close. And um, the, the bill that was approved today bolsters unemployment insurance and supposedly guarantees free diagnostic testing for the coronavirus, but you have to get it first. And here comes another domino. When corporations outsource, because it's cheaper, for instance, the masks, they're all made in China. Cheap labor in China. Let's buy from China. Well, China has been shut down now. Right. And there is nothing you're going to get. <laughs> Definitely not any of that. There really should be a limit on outsourcing. This, this government needs to change that, and enough with the huge profits. You gave them huge tax reform where instead of putting it back into their business, they bought their own stock spot back, which most people don't realize. Well, I shouldn't say most. A lot of people don't realize that that's why the stock market surged. They bought their own stocks back, these yes. mega corporations. So, you know, now they're crying the blues, but you and I both know if you're going to invest in stocks in the stock market, investing is a risky business. It has good days. It has bad days. No one has a crystal ball like what happened with the techie stocks. When the bottom falls out out of the market or some kind of disaster happens like this, this is what happened. The stock market plunges. It will come back. But if you're just moving money around and you're just looking for those huge profits, you know, and you're retiring, you better not have your money there. You better think twice. And, and you always, always put that small print in the bottom. You know, uh, uh, 
this is, you know, this impl- implies risk. Do not invest that you cannot afford to lose. <laughs> so very, very true. Okay. And that's be the topic of another show. We've reached the end of our journey for today, and you will be hearing from me very soon. We're starting on a new channel, and yes. uh, the format's a little bit different. Uh, so I'm, I'm moving the shows and uh, uh, tweaking them a bit as we move into the new channel. So um, I spoke with Bill earlier on the phone. Uh, he's on next, but I, I had the conversation with him. I'll have it with you um, before the weekend. Definitely, definitely. And we'll see what we can do. Um, you can go act at AARP. You're talking about Congress giving your numbers and emailing your, your congressman. And there's so many different organizations that are looking for petitions to be signed to help regular people. You know, and, and, and that's when we have to say, well, what are we going to do? Not wring your hands. There are things you can do. And there are people that are doing them. And that's a good thing. Yes, it is. Thank you, Astrid. You're awesome. And I look forward to starting this new adventure with you in a month or so. Oh, wonderful. Have a great night. You too. Be well. Talk to you soon. Yes. And we're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back with Bill Waitman and his eye on northern New Jersey.
in a single cup of earth Sings the mystery of the all-expanding universe Trust that brain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we Welcome back to the Elysium Project. This is Hercules Invictus, and I'm greatly honored to announce that we'll be closing tonight's show with Eye on Northern New Jersey with Bill Waitman. His guest tonight is Henry Haskup, and uh, they will be sharing with us their immense knowledge on boxing. Greetings and welcome, gentlemen. How's everything? Thank you. Thank you very much. I've been listening to your show for the last hour or so. It's very... Very interesting. Very interesting guest you had. Thank you so very much. I'm greatly honored. Uh, without further ado, I will let you guys uh, start your show. Greetings, Bill. How you doing? Thank you very much. <clears throat> doing good awesome. to hear you, Henry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Henry, uh, yeah, we're going to talk, uh, I, I think we mentioned last night about uh, the Spanish flu and uh, boxing, which uh, uh, had a heavy toll on boxing now, uh, then, and uh, what's going on is having a heavy thing on every sport, including boxing now. Uh, Fights are being canceled uh, now, and uh, uh, I think some, um, I'm trying to think of who died in 1918. That was a famous, there was some famous heavyweight, I believe, but I think you can fill me in. Well, the the most famous guy, he fought for the the world heavyweight title against Jack Johnson, a guy by the name of Battling Jim Johnson, he he uh, he passed away in 1918 from this uh, virus. There was quite a few boxers that had this disease, including uh, world champions uh, Tommy Burns, who uh, Jack Johnson uh, beat for the title. Uh, he was from Canada. Yeah, they said he was very severe, but then a few days later, he he just you know walked out of the hospital and he was okay. Same thing with uh, James J. Jeffries. He also, uh, wow. you know, he was a world champion, uh, one of the one of the real greats around uh, just over a hundred years ago, and uh, he had it and uh, he recovered. And even uh, outside, um, you know, boxing. I mean, there was uh, there was a, a baseball umpire that died. 
there was a couple of uh, hockey players that that died, and uh, you know one of the one of the baseball players who, who uh, became really prominent uh, years later. Uh, he, he won the home run title in 1918 with 11 home runs, <laughs> and a couple of years before that, he he was a 20 game winner for two years in a row for, uh, oh my God. for the Boston Red Babe Sox, Ruth. and that was none other than Babe Ruth. <clears throat> you know, he had the Spanish <laughs> yeah. flu, and uh, you know, so it affected, yeah, it affected quite a few uh, athletes. I mean, it shut down, uh, you know, boxing in uh, especially in October. Uh, I mean, let me tell you, um, they had 1,771 shows that's registered. And they probably even had more than that, but this is what I found out. You know, I can only uh, find uh, 1,771 shows in 1918. Only 38 were in October, and most of them were right in the beginning and right at the end. In the be- you know, in the middle, there was very, very few shows because they were being all canceled. You know, uh, guys like even Battling Nelson, who was uh, a prominent, uh, one of the greatest lightweights uh, around, and uh, he had it for a while. You know, I mean, these guys, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, pulled out of it. But uh, just to give you some statistics, uh, you know, the Spanish flu killed fifty-seven thousand soldiers, and And just let you know, in combat. During that time of World War I, 53,000 were killed. So the Spanish flu actually killed more soldiers than the during war. And then in New York City alone, New York City, 851 people died in one day. In one in a, day? Yeah, oh in one God. day, 850. And there was um, 50 million were killed in the world. world. I mean, I mean, that, it's, you know, I mean, it's really. It was like the third of a pop of the population of uh, uh, of the globe, and uh, six hundred and seventy-five thousand were killed in the United States of America. I mean, it was. Uh, How the heck did they just, handle that number? I mean, uh, uh, I, I, the, the Spanish Spanish flu to well, me has the same kind of uh, symptoms. It, it goes to the lungs. Uh, yeah, I the only thing uh, with the Spanish now. flu, uh, when they had the Spanish flu, uh, the older people really weren't affected as much. Most of the people the that were affected were the younger ones, and they. Do you have any that. idea? Well, Henry, do you have contri- any idea why that happened? Yeah, they contributed that because they uh, years before, around 18, 1889 or 1890, they had the Russian flu, and and these oh, people lived through that. It was like um, a flu shot, more or less. You know, you you, uh-huh. you went through that, so your body got more or less immune to it. You know, it was a safe. You know, you know, I hate to say, you know, it, it's strange to say, but they um, they became like immune to that. Uh, thing so, you know it, it was um, you know just in October 1918, there was uh, one uh, you'd say 195,000 people that were killed in the United States just that one month. I mean, your life expectancy went down 12 years in uh, in just that um, that 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 year from one year to the next. So it was. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, yeah it was. Expectancy it, in this country, it, it, it is going down uh, even before this current flu. But that's frightening. Go ahead. I didn't oh, mean to yeah, cut you off. Yeah, I mean, uh, it really scares you. You know, a lot of people didn't know about, like, the, even the Spanish flu or anything like this because it was, you know, so many years ago. And they said, well, that's never going to happen again and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, hey. You know, I don't know, you know, if it's, if it's God or somebody, you know, they work in mysterious ways and, you know, certain things happen and, um, you know, who the heck knows how it started. And, uh, you know, they say China, but then, uh, you know, one person gives it to another, another person gives it to another. Like you go to a supermarket and the guy next to you might be a carrier. He might be, you know, the healthiest guy around, but he might have picked it up at, uh, you know, some some ball game or something like this, and all of a sudden he gives it to you. You go home and give it to your to your uh, mother or something like this, and, uh, you know, all of a sudden she's, you know, fighting for her life. I mean, it's uh, it's very, very frightening. Uh, you we, know, we never seen any, you know, I, I mean, my grandfather was in World War One. I. I, I never yeah, got my, to Well, my him. father was in World War One, yeah. and my father was... Uh, born in 1896 so he was uh you know uh, he, he he was he was an older man when i was born i mean i'm not that old you know but uh you know it, it's uh you know it, but stuff like that i mean really uh frightens the heck out of you and like i said the sports world just came to a, a frightening end because uh you know they couldn't uh, like today i mean uh you know i had to put out a notice for uh, for la- uh, for next week, we were supposed to have a, a New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame meeting. We were supposed to have the vote on who goes into the Hall of Fame next year, you know, for this year, and I had to cancel that. But also the National Boxing Hall of Fame. That's not the the international. It's, it's we have a National Boxing Hall of Fame also. That's been mm-hmm. pushed back a whole year, and also the New York State and Pennsylvania Boxing Hall of Fames have been pushed back until the fall. You know, Ring 8, the AIB, and Ring 25 are all canceled for this month. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't know what's, uh, you know, I don't know when it's going to end. I mean, right now the International Hall of Fame and Atlantic City Boxing Hall of Fame is still on for June. But, uh, you know, I got my doubts now if that's going to take place. I know in... Uh, Let me ask you... Yeah. Let me ask you two questions. These are personal questions. You know that... Uh, yeah. I work with P. Nazo, who is in the Hall of Fame. Um, oh, P. Nazo just around? passed away. He oh, just passed God. away. In fact, in fact, Pete Nazo, I went down to Florida, I guess, uh, the end of November, around, around Thanksgiving, just before Thanksgiving. And um, I got a call or an email from Tom Kazmarek, who is a world-renowned boxing judge, told me that Pete passed away. And I said, holy cow, you know, I felt so bad. And I says, you know, I says, you know, when is the wake? And they said the next day. And and I, you know, I, I, and I just couldn't make it back there. So he asked me to write a eulogy, you know, for, for Pete. Because Pete no, was, uh, he was uh, an outstanding individual. In fact, uh, if you want to know a little history about him, you know, back in the, let's say, early 1950s, around 1950, you know, blacks and whites, you know, they didn't really get along. But he had a fighter by the name of Phil Saxon, who happened to be black, and of course, Pete is white. Phil Saxon was his fighter, and Pete got married and had 
had a baby boy, and he named him after mm-hmm. Pete. He named his first yeah. son after Pete Naza, who was a white guy, and yet, you know, very few people, you know, that that I, that was unheard of at that time. Was Saxon? Did he have uh, Pete? Became a trainer and manager. I knew him in government. He always wanted me to fight when I was younger. Yeah, no, no uh, he he was uh, like I said. He uh, he handled uh, a guy by the name of George Washington. Of course, not not the president, but you know later on <laughs> he also handled uh, best guy was Phil Saxon. He he was rated number ten in the world by one of the federations. You know, one of the magazines rated him number ten in the world as a light heavyweight. But he was a gentle soul. You know, even Pete said he he was too nice to be a, a fighter. He didn't have that killer instinct. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, Pete was. Um, in fact, the last time I saw Pete was in November, November fourteenth, two thousand nineteen. It was at the New Jersey Boxing Hall of Fame affair. I just got done, you know, emceeing the thing, and I walked back to sit with my wife and uh, you know just to relax a little bit. And, and Pete was. Um, being pulled out by, uh, on a wheelchair by his, uh, oh, his sons, by his sons, and uh, I seen him, and he he wanted his son like he was going around the other table, and he insisted that he would come up to me, and he gave me a big hug, and he says, "Oh, I don't know what we do without you, Henry. You know, I don't know what we do without you," and I gave him a hug and kiss, and you know, we had a few words and everything, and that was the last time I saw him and uh, I was Henry, very yeah you know that he had I think he had a fight on the uh, uh, Cassius Clay when at that time undercard in was it Maine I think yeah. was it Phil Saxon was he on that undercard uh, I don't think he was on the undercard no I don't think so you know he probably yeah, getting he... mixed up with another uh, another individual but uh, you know uh, like I said Phil Phil was a good uh very good fighter, uh, you know, not not great, but uh, you know he was he was up there and uh, you know uh, for his time anyway he was he was very 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 good. But well, I'm, uh, I'm glad you. I, go ahead. I'm sorry that you gave me sad news, but uh, Pete was a big figure in my life. I mean, uh, the guy was a genius on on the jobs that he did. Uh, yeah. Ford Motor Company. You know, he was a government employee in Ford oh, Motor yeah. Company. Yep. Yep. Picked up half his salary because he he really worked hard. He brought me to that plant uh, in New Jersey, and, and I know he did a GM plant. And uh, I don't know why Ford closed that plant, but they would they implemented so many of the Japanese things and actually turned them into a hit. I, I mean, they yeah. won an award. One worker came up with an idea in the system that Pete set up, and uh, uh, Ford and the uh, I guess it was. Uh, I can't think of the other truck company. There was a Japanese trunk company. They both down down different lines, but every time yeah. I worked with that guy, he was like a father figure. I'm sorry. Oh to yeah, hear well, that. he was he a speechwriter for uh, I think Governor Byrne. You know, so I mean, he wow. he he knew uh, he was very educated, and uh, at the end, in the last several years, he could hardly hear. You know, he could hardly hear, and he, you know, he says, "What, what, what?" Even with the hearing aids and <laughs> special phones, you know, and he's I used to sit right next to him. He made sure, like, if we went to a dinner and I wasn't like up in the podium or anything like this, I had to speak anyway. But uh, I, sometimes I would sit down. He made sure he sit right next to me. <laughs> he try to, you know, he'd talk 
but uh, you know it was hard to relate to him because uh, you know he just didn't he couldn't pick pick me up unless I you know, almost yelled in his ear. You know he, he was that <laughs> that far gone. But uh, what a what an individual he was. Uh, you know, like I, I said, he was he, he was very good for boxing, and uh, you know I, he, he's going to be sadly missed. He was a former president of Ring Twenty Five, also. You know. Yes, and, I knew um, that. We we, yeah. we had a ring in Sussex County. Uh, another boxer. Um, God, I forgot his name. Mickey. I think we called him Mickey. Um, I know he was in the. Uh, he won a couple of fights at Madison Square Garden, light heavyweight, heavyweight. I forgot his last name. He moved to Pennsylvania. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, uh, he didn't box under his own name. He boxed under his brother's name as a. Oh, Don you know, McIntyre. Is he still Don, alive? Don McIntyre. That's who you're talking about. Yeah. He was a light heavyweight. He he uh, he raised. Yeah, he's still alive. They said he's not doing that well. He still lives in Pennsylvania. He was a, a very good light heavyweight. He fought. Um, um, let's see who that did he fight? Uh, Dijon, uh, not Dijon. Yeah, I think he fought Dijon, and he fought uh, a few other uh, uh, other individuals. I think he fought um, uh, uh, Tom McNeely. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. so he, you know he. He he fought some uh some good good guys. He fought Chuck Webner, you know, in uh in some you Did know, one of the him? fights. <laughs> no, he, he didn't beat him, but up? uh, you know, he uh he did fight him. You know, he, he was a tough hombre. You know, he didn't take any uh guff from anybody. He just uh even at a at a, a late age he was um you know He was a good friend of mine too. He brought me to your dinners, uh uh, I had a house fire, and he came to me, and he had me do oh. publicity for a ring up there. Uh, a guy had three rings, one in Miami, one in uh, Sussex County, and one in Las Vegas. Oh, so yeah, I tried yeah, I know to what you mean. Boxing fights, but uh, yeah. I, I'm not, I wasn't with the New York Times or the Daily News. <laughs> I, yeah, I did yeah. my best. Uh, well, his uh, yeah. big fights were, I guess, were maybe were Frankie DePaula. He had a draw against him, and then he lost a close decision, you know. But uh, he fought uh, Bob Stolling too. So he, you know, he he was, um, like I said, a very tough guy, and he was the president of Ring Twenty Five. And boy, you know, he, don't cross him. <laughs> don't no, cross I the saw guy. him yell. <laughs> I saw both oh, those yeah. guys yell. I was yeah. in. A- I worked with Pete Nazar on a project in Raritan area, and we okay. went to a diner, and I don't know what it was about. I was in my uh, 20s. I I known him uh, really young, uh, and he um, I wound up working with him a couple of times. And uh, yeah, he we, he brought me to this diner after we were working at some chemical. No, we were working at a company that made liquor, um, and I don't know what it was. The workers in that diner didn't like us. And he was ready to fight. And he asked me if oh, I yeah. I was oh, ready yeah. to fight. But I, I yeah. He was like a, not a big guy, but he was like, you could see him take off. His face would light up. And you know what's funny? I didn't realize he was deaf until you told me because when I seen him angry sometimes, he would hold his ear. <laughs> we couldn't hear oh. what the people were saying. I yeah, didn't need to yeah. take off on that. Uh, too, they were too good, uh, too good. To me, they were two good guys. I had a house fire. And uh, McAteer really helped me out a lot. Actually, your ring helped me out. I remember getting oh. a donation from a world champion, and I know you did his eulogy. Matter of fact, I just read that you were up to 300 eulogies 
I don't even know who's on the Olympic team right now because I haven't, uh, yeah. you know, followed it as much because I, I, I figured, you know, with all this other stuff, you know, I, I was going to get to get to see, you know, something. You know, you know that's another thing. Years ago, they used to have amateur boxing on TV, you know, the Nationals right. or something like this. And nowadays, uh, you know, they have nothing. You know, they, you know, I mean, you have to live stream it, you know, somehow. And uh, even then, you can't even get it. You know, and it's a shame because uh, you don't even know who's fighting. You know, I mean, it's uh, it's not good. You know, not good for that for that sport. What what do you think? uh, What do you think? What's the future of boxing now? uh, Well, well, I mean, uh, you got some some uh, new guys. New Jersey has uh, Shakur Stevenson who I knew since he was like five years old, you know, he, he won all the junior titles and national titles. And he won a silver medal in the Olympics. He's now the featherweight champion of the world by the WBO. And he's, you know, the latest uh, star that's coming up. Of course, you got a Canelo. I mean, he's, um, he's fighting, uh, uh, you know, pretty soon again. Hopefully that, that stays on. I mean, uh, Tyson Fury made a big impact. You know he's uh he, you know he, you know sometimes you got to be a showman you know you know and, uh, and that's what he is I mean you know he's a six foot nine you know maybe two hundred seventy wow. pound guy that he can punch a little bit he can box a little bit and he's a showman you know he'll he, he talk you know he's he's like Barnum and Bailey you know or Muhammad Ali you know you know oh, uh, he I think just the uh, needs something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you know, people are, you know, falling in love with the guy and and uh what's good thing about it is that a lot of the money, if not all the money he gets, he donates to uh the homeless and uh you know, and it's it's just uh, an amazing thing. I mean, here's a guy that um, beat Klitschko for the heavyweight championship of the world and then he had a mental breakdown. He went up over oh. 400 pounds. He wanted to kill himself. You know, he was he was that bad. And then he got himself straightened out, lost the weight, had a few fights, and now he's on top of the world again. You know, I mean, uh, you know, things like that. I love hearing. You know, you know, I love. uh, Uh, It sounds like a good, a great story, and I hopefully can continue. Yes, I hope so because, uh, you know, we we need a face in boxing, you know, uh, you know, when you get, I hate to say, uh, you know, even a name like Broner, I mean, Broner, you know, he had a lot of talent, but he gets in trouble all the time. He got arrested in Las Vegas at the weigh-in for the Wilder Fury fight. The other day, he got arrested. (laughs) He was making, yeah, I know, I know. He was making so much commotion and he wouldn't stop, and they arrested him. And then just the other day, he got arrested again in Florida for DWI. I mean, it's just, oh, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's just un- unbelievable. And you know, and and the thing is, you know, everybody wants to see him get beat up. So I mean, he doesn't win that much anymore. But he gets these big fights. I wouldn't give him the big fights because he gets all this money. No. That's what he wants. You know, he wants the money. And, uh, you know, there's a lot more fighters out there that's more excited than him. You know, Triple G and, 
you know, you, you got, you know, um, you know, like I said, Canelo and you know all, all these other fighters. I mean, they're 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 the ones that should be getting you know the accolades. And uh, you know, who the heck wants these? Like Terence Crawford. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Lomachenko. I mean, these guys are you know, I mean, great. Even Manny Pacquiao. I mean, he's still fighting and. You know, he's wow. still, How old is he you know, yeah. turning on. I think he's 41, oh, like 41 yeah. years old, you know, and he, he's the only uh, champion, I think, that was champion in like, uh, uh, what's that, three or four different decades. I mean, you know, I mean, he he, he, he was a flyweight champion uh, years ago. I mean, you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, so. What's the pounds on a flyweight? That's, that's the lowest, isn't it? Well, they have they have other ones also. They have a straw weight or a minimum weight, then a light fly weight, and then, you know, I think you go up two pounds and you're in different weight class now. You know, years ago there was only eight weight classes. Now they got I think it's seventeen. You know, but he won the flyweight title in 1998. So you got the 90s, then wow. you got the the O's, then you got the teens, and you got, so he's been champion four different decades. You know. So, That's an amazing it, feat. Oh yeah, yeah. He's a sure, sure Hall of Famer. You know, uh, I'm on the voting committee for the international, and you know, he he'll be a, you know, you never say, uh, you know, people will be a first round ballot because you don't know who's on the ballot with them. But I don't care who's on the ballot with him. He's now, gonna. He's not a New Jersey fighter, but let me ask you. This goes back a ways. Archie Moore. He seemed to fight forever when I was a kid. Oh yeah. Did you do? I know. I don't know when he fought till he was fifty. I know he fought Ali. Um, yeah, I don't he know, was. I don't uh, even remember when. No, he fought Ali. He was way past his prime. You know, he was a, he was an old man. But the uh, thing is that uh, you know <laughs> he fought until nineteen sixty three. In fact, his last fight was uh, was against um, a, a wrestler. You know, uh, in fact, uh, you know they always. Uh, Say something about um, uh, you know Mayweather fighting uh, uh, you know McGregor, you know, and I, I tell oh. him uh, you look at Archie Moore's record, uh, he fought three wrestlers, you know, professional wrestlers, oh. you know, in, in boxing matches, and they all ended the same way, exactly the same way, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a surprise I always say because. It's wrestling, you know, and uh, but yeah. uh, they all ended the same way. It, it was a TKO in the third round because <laughs> of an eye cut. Everyone ended with an eye cut in the third round. Now, what's the odds of that? You got to get power because he he was way up there in age. I, I mean, oh, I, yeah, I didn't realize. Yeah, he fought Ali in nineteen. Yeah, he fought Ali in nineteen sixty-two. I mean, you know, he he was, you know, and and. He, I don't even think anybody knows when he was born. You know, they said he was, you know, the records show he was born in 1916. But, so that would make him like, well, he'd be about 45 years old at the time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, some people even think he was older than that. You know, and, you know, Archibald Lee Wright, that was his real name. And he's uh, a guy that never got a shot at the title because of his, of his skin until uh, he was into maybe 150 fights before he fought for the title. Against Joey Maxim, and he beat Maxim, and he beat him again. You know, and uh, Maxim you know, was he, a good fighter. Oh, Joey Maxim, yeah, he. Uh, Boy, he, in my ear. 
Yeah, well, he beat Patterson when Patterson was coming up, and uh, he also stopped uh, Sugar Ray Robinson. Of course, a lot of people, you know, will say, well, you know, the Heat actually beat Robinson, which is true, but like Joey Maxim said, and uh, I was fighting in the same uh, same ring, and it was the same same amount of heat in the ring for me as it was for him, you know. But uh, you know what I mean? It's um, you know uh, you know Robinson was in a different different ball game, but um, you know Joey Maxim was a was a good fighter, he even fought heavyweight, he fought for the heavyweight title and everything else. So he mm-hmm. he was up there, you know. He he was one of the one of the top. Uh, top guys around, you know, for a long time. And Archie Moore, I mean, geez, I mean, he he's rated as one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. I mean, the only one I would I, think is better than him maybe Ezra Charles. And, uh, I you know, remember he became, him, too. Yeah. Did he die so early, he, Ezra Charles? Did he, did he, uh, yeah, did he, he had uh, it, that uh, sickle, uh, that, that uh, disease that uh, some black people get. Uh, oh, geez, I can't even think of the name of it now but uh Ezra Charles beat uh Archie Moore three times I mean you know so wow. he was you know, a good and, fighter then too. oh he was he was he was great in his prime you know up until the time he got knocked out by by Ezra uh by uh, Jersey Joe Walcott you know Jersey Joe Walcott landed a perfect left left hook it was more or less an uppercut left hook and he caught him just right and he went down and really he was never the same and you can go back years before that. He also killed a guy in the ring, and uh, you know he he um, he wasn't the same after that either. He lost that killer instinct. He didn't want to, you know, he, you know he, he didn't want to kill anybody again. And uh, you know it was, no. um, you, you know. Do you think that was the same with Emil Griffith? Well, I, I saw the fight on TV. I, yeah, I saw it when he was. Uh, I know he fought a Cuban fighter. I can't think of his name. Yeah, Benny Kid Perret. Uh, yeah, that's Benny right. Kid Perret, and uh, the referee was Ruby Goldstein, and he threw over 20 consecutive punches, and uh, you know Perret went down like uh, like he sagged down, and he he was he was gone. I mean, you know, when uh, Amo Griffith died, I I gave that was one of the 300 eulogies I gave. So uh, with um, with Amo Griffith. In fact, I had to do his three times. Believe it or not, wow. I had to do it. Yeah, I had to do it at the at, at his funeral. I had to do it at a Ring Eight meeting. Then I had to do it at a grave site when we put up a tombstone by his uh, in his grave because he was buried without a tombstone. And then we raised some money and we got one. And um, you know, we uh, they asked me to do it again. So. So it was, um, you know, it was, um, you know, you know, Emma Griffith. You know, I tell you, if you want to see a nice guy in boxing, that was Emma Griffith. I mean, and you on, know, that, he on that note, we have to wrap up. We only have a couple more minutes left. Thanks to both of you for the education in uh, boxing. I didn't know that much about boxing, but uh, whenever you guys talk, I, I absorb a great deal. So I thank you for that. Um, do you have any contact information to share, Henry, so that folks can enter your world? Well, uh, they could always email me because right now everything is down. You know, yeah. I mean, eight, my, it's very easy. It's hhaskup at yahoo.com. That's the easiest way to reach me, and I can send them anything they want. You know, it's uh, it's just like my name. My first initial, 
that's Henry and my last name together at yahoo.com and they can uh, they can contact me there and I get back to everybody I answer questions on boxing and baseball and football and any any sport you want that uh, you you're curious about and you know, I'll get the answer for you Thank you and Bill is there anything you'd like to say to close up the show Well I'm I'm thinking of running for freeholder this year in Sussex awesome. County um, <laughs> I, I got to get up there and get the papers uh, I'll make some enemies, I guess, but uh, I would like to do that. I think uh, there, there's a need to, uh, I, you know, bring some uh, new, different kind of politics. And I've run for freeholder there before, but we're not going any place as a county, uh, you know. Uh, and what's going on now is closing down a lot of opportunities up there. So yeah, I think I might run. I got to get the papers. I keep not going. <laughs> to the, to get them, but uh, I'm going to get them this. Uh, I'm going to go and get them, and I'm going to try to run. And if I don't run this year, I will be running for the assembly next year because I have some people I love to debate. Awesome. And, uh, what county is that? Now? Book, so. What I, county I is that? As well. That's Sussex. That's Sussex. Sussex County. Okay. Here, bring him back from uh, Pennsylvania because he was a good friend of mine. It's yeah. A pleasure. Uh, Hercules to you know to have him on uh, and to have you know talk about boxing because there is an art to it. I take to the art. I you're gonna yes, just yes, do it quickly is. for me. Tell me the guy that fought Jack Dempsey and won. Uh, I keep forgetting his name. The genius. Uh, oh, you mean Gene Tunney? And yeah, I mean that guy I admire a lot. Uh, family of ten yeah. kids, growing up in the village, uh, and fighting and, a guy and, like. I have Dempsey to play the song. They're going to cut it off soon. <laughs> it's yeah, Gene Tunney beat him twice. Got to get okay. you back again. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember... All manifestations of the divine are equally valid.